Good morning. For those of you who were expecting uh, Noad to be here this morning and preaching, he is in Los Angeles, <coughs> sick with the flu. So you're stuck with me. <laughs> oh Lord, my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made. I see the stars. I hear the rolling thunder, thy power throughout the universe displayed. Who is he speaking about here? I'm deaf. The Lord Jesus. We're going to turn to Colossians chapter 1. This really isn't part of the message, but I want to show you that it is Jesus Christ that we're talking about here. In Colossians chapter 1, it says in verse 15, speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, the one of preeminence over all creation. For by Him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through Him and for Him. Speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, He is the Creator and the Sustainer of all things. How many of you here this morning are 20 years old or under? Just raise your hand. Lita, put your hand down. (laughs) Okay, 20 years old or under. Okay, I'm going to tell you about an event that uh, took place 20 years ago this year. For those of you who are a little older than that, have a few more gray hairs, you'll remember the event if you were here. It was during the warm-up for the third game of the World Series, the game between the Oakland A's and the San Francisco Giants. The date was 17th, October 17th, 1989. And so for anyone under 20 years of age in this room, you weren't even born yet. Amazing that it's been 20 years. But for the adults, you will probably remember exactly where you were at 5.04 that Tuesday afternoon. I remember that the children, Rachel and Sharon, (coughs) were sitting at uh, the supper table getting ready to eat. Luke (coughs) was in the crib. And the house started shaking. And it shook. I've been here for, well, since 1979. And so I've been through a few earthquakes, but none like that one. And the house began to shake. And I remember it was either Rachel or Sharon said, Dad, who put the house on roller skates? (laughs) And I ran to Luke's crib and I brought him to the only place of safety, which was under the door. And I thought, how well is this house built? (laughs) The experts say that the earthquake that rumbled through the Bay Area that afternoon reached a magnitude of 7.0 on the Richter scale. It varies from 6.9 to 7.1, but it was big. They say that it lasted for only 15 seconds. And yet, what ruin 
was the result of that 15-second earthquake. Thousands of people were homeless. A portion of the Bay Bridge collapsed. Many of you have seen pictures of that. The Cypress structure. I used to like driving on that bridge, on that uh, two-decker freeway. If you hit just the right speed, your car would actually <laughs> go like this with each wave. I was a little disappointed when it collapsed. Many of the connecting freeways experienced major structural damage, and uh, in the Marina District of San Francisco, there was a major fire that broke out uh, when the, the houses that had been built on quicksand, basically, they had been built on fill, uh, collapsed, and, and uh, resulting in fires in the area as well. Portions of the Santa Cruz Mountains swept across the freeway, closing down another major artery. Only 63 people were killed, surprisingly. But it was a day when um, the Lord had the attention of the world. Those who were watching the World Series were able to watch the first glitch of the TV screen until it went dead from the lack of power. And then uh, the New York um, stations picked up where the San Francisco stations couldn't deliver. And they began to tell of the earthquake that took place in the San Francisco Bay Area. 3,757 people were injured and thousands were made homeless. The ruin of a 15-second earthquake. But the ruin of this earthquake cannot be compared to the ruin that I want to talk about this morning. And it is the ruin with which God was faced. Many of uh, the uh, people in my class have memorized the verse that I want to look at and if anybody would like to recite it from heart, um, I'll give you this opportunity. Colossians chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. Who would like to quote that for me? Go ahead. Stand up with a loud voice. Sing it. Say it. Thank you. Again, it's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. It says, It pleased the Father that in Him the fullness should dwell. Speaking of the deity of Jesus Christ, the fact that Jesus Christ is God. And that God would, by Him, by the Lord Jesus Christ, reconcile all things to Himself. By Him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of His cross. Thank you. Um, Christine, if we think of the ruin caused by 15 seconds of shaking, it was the result of a slip in the San Andreas Fault about 70 miles um, south of San Francisco. Think of the ruin for just a minute. 12,000 homes were either destroyed or damaged. 2,600 businesses were damaged. If we use today's figures the estimated uh, destructive cost was $10 billion. But if we consider the magnitude of the ruin with which God was faced, it was nothing short of the whole universe out of order, the whole universe in ruins. In Colossians 1.20, it says, By Him to reconcile all things to Himself, 
by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven. The phrase, all things there, means the whole universe. It says in verse 16, for by him, all things were created. What does that include? Everything. The whole universe. In verse 16, all things were created through him and for him. The whole universe and all that is in it. He is before all things. In him all things consist, verse 17 and verse 18, that in all things he might have the preeminence, that he might be the Lord of all. And yet we read in verse 20 that God was faced with the ruin of the whole universe, all things. He was faced with the ruin of all things and had to reconcile them to himself. Eleven miles under the forest of... um, Nicene Mark State Park, we usually think of it as the Loma Prieta earthquake, but it really is the Nicene Mark State Park earthquake, because that's where the epicenter was. The earth shook, and the effect of that shaking was felt for hundreds of miles. For 15 seconds, the earth shook, and the ruin was felt by millions of people in the Bay Area. The ruin that is described in the Bible happened 6,000 years ago. And it was in the Garden of Eden. And in the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve sinned by taking the forbidden fruit, God set up one rule for the human race to follow. One rule. That was it. And he said, you may freely eat of all the trees of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. How easy was that? How would you like to live life with only one rule to follow? Just one. Imagine. I follow more than that just getting in my car, strapping my seatbelt on, making sure my mirrors are correct, and all the rest of it. One rule, and we blew it. One rule, and we disobeyed God, and we ate the forbidden fruit. And on that day, in perhaps less than 15 seconds, the whole universe was ruined by man. And the effect of that ruin was felt not by millions of people in the Bay Area, but by the billions of people who have lived on planet Earth ever since that time. Every human being who has ever lived on Earth. We read in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, that just as through one man sin entered into the world, or entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, for all have sinned. We speak of this event as the fall of man, but it might be better phrased the ruin of man. And when sin entered the world, it affected not only man, but the entire universe. It corrupted, in a sense, the whole universe. All things were affected. The Bible says in verse 16 of this chapter that the ruin included things in heaven. We read in Job chapter 25, How then can man be righteous before God? Or how can he be pure if even the stars are not pure in his sight? In Hebrews 9.23, we learn that the heavenly things themselves must be purified. The ruin includes things on earth. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to realize that every time you go out to your garden, and you plant a flower that a weed will come up in its place. I don't know about you, but that's what happens in my garden. 
been ruined. The weeds grow up better than the plants. Why? Because of that one act of sin in the Garden of Eden. God said to Adam, Cursed is the ground for your sake. Both with thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. Work is not a curse, but work by the sweat of our brow is a part of uh, the curse. The ruin includes things that are visible. In one of the verses that we've learned for our, our class, it says that God made man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. It says in that passage, let them, God, when God was creating man, he said, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. The ruin includes everything under man's dominion. Everything that God gave him dominion over, man ruined. When the Loma Prieta earthquake struck, right after it in the San Francisco Marina District, the structural engineers went out to inspect the homes and the buildings. Um, and they had a sticker with them. And if they inspected the home and it looked like it was uninhabitable, they plastered that sticker on the building. And the, and the sticker said, condemned. Condemned. And if we think of what has happened on planet Earth because of the fall of man, it's as if God has put a sticker over the Earth that says, condemned. As a matter of fact, in one of the verses that we memorized for the class, it's exactly what it says. Jesus said, He who believes in the Son is not condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Condemned. God reminds us that all of creation was subjected to futility and that the whole of creation groans and labors. It's, it's as if the whole planet is out of kilter and it's groaning with labor pains. The fact that there is death and destruction and sickness and disease in God's creation that God initially marked as good tells us that something tragic has taken place and that is the fall of man that has resulted in the sin and the, and the ruin of all of creation. All things visible, he says. The ruin includes things invisible. Even at the highest levels of creation, the things that we cannot see, we know that all, has been, all, all things have been affected by the ruin of man. But if you read down to verse 21 in Colossians 1, we have this two-word phrase, that is most concerning to me, and it says, and you, and you. You were part of the problem, weren't you? And so was I. Not only did Adam and Eve sin and believe the lie of that crafty one, Satan, the devil, but we did too. Any time we have come to this book and we have doubted it, we do the very same thing that Adam and Eve did in the garden. When Satan tried to trick our early parents and he said to them, Yea, has God said? He was really saying, Did God really say that? Did he really say that? Making us doubt, making us think twice about what God had to say. Does God really say that I'm a sinner? Yes. 
And all the world would have me to believe that I'm okay. I'm okay by myself. I'm okay. I don't need God, really. It's part of the lie from the Garden of Eden. Anytime we believe that God was trying to hold something back from us, that God was somehow being stingy to us, that somehow God was withholding something that was good for us, our actions showed that we were corrupt through and through. The Bible describes our actions that we lie and we cheat and we steal and we kill and we covet and we curse and we're hostile toward God. And yet He is the one who holds our breath in His hand. And each moment of each day, each day of each week, He donates one breath at a time to us. One at a time. Somewhere between 17,000 and 20,000 times a day, God delivers one breath at a time to us. We reject the one who grants each beat of our heart over a hundred thousand times. God squeezes that heart in our chest and causes it to pump and He gives us life every day. In spite of His daily goodness and His love toward us, we turn our backs toward Him. The Bible says all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to His own way. We have become enemies of God. And with each sin we commit, we move further and further and further away from God, doing our own thing. And just as the buildings in the Marina District and parts of San Francisco and parts of Oakland and down in Santa Cruz were ruined and condemned, the Bible tells us that we are sinners and we too are condemned. As I said earlier, Jesus said, he who does not believe is condemned already. And this is the magnitude of the ruin with which God was faced. A whole universe in upheaval. And we ourselves were alienated and enemies in our mind practicing um, wicked works. Well, how was God going to fix this? Think of the, the immensity of the task that lay before the Savior. After the 1989 uh, Loma Prieta earthquake, there was a, an immense task of fixing what was ruined. You realize it's over 20 years, 20 years in a month, and they're still not finished? They're still not finished. Some of you know about the, uh, the, uh, the bridge that's being built over the Bay Bridge right now. You know why they're building that bridge? Because of the fact that the other bridge isn't sufficient to handle another major earthquake. Uh, we're already seeing parts of it, boing, you know, breaking apart, splitting at the, the uh, eye holes or whatever they call them, the, um, the part that uh, they've, they've been trying to fix. The immense task of everything that was ruined. It meant that the cypress structure had to be torn down. The whole freeway had to be rerouted out to the, uh, the coast of Oakland. The Bay Bridge had to be repaired. And as I said, the, the long-term goal of that was to replace uh, one span of it. Still not finished. It's an immense, costly, uh, and time-consuming task to fix the ruin of a 15-second earthquake. If I'm not mistaken, I think even a quarter percent of our sales tax still goes to the repair of that. I may be wrong on that, but I think that's still, I think that's correct. The ruin stretched from the Santa Cruz Mountains 
to the cities of Oakland and San Francisco and beyond. It's an incredible amount of force. I can't even begin to describe or explain it to you, but I can explain it in human terms of the businesses, the families that uh, suffered loss and had to try to put their lives back together again. And although many things have been restored, no one could bring back the dead. And 63 people died in that um, event. That's an earthquake. But think of what the Lord was faced with. It was nothing short of taking the whole universe that was ruined and putting it right again. For that is what is meant by the phrase to reconcile all things to himself. To reconcile means to restore to a right relationship. It means to create peace where there was no peace. And it means to change enemies into friends. And God wanted to do that not with just the whole of creation, that thing out there, but he wanted to do that with you and with me. God wanted you to have a right relationship with him, to restore what was lost in the Garden of Eden. The Lord wanted to create peace in your heart that you might have peace with God. And it, may, and it means that God wanted to change you, an enemy of God, into His friend, but more than that, into His Son. The task that lay before the Savior included reconciling the whole universe to Himself, but it also included reconciling you. Now you can see the problem. How is he going to do that? How would he restore a universe that is groaning under the upheaval of our sin? How would he go about bringing you from the point of being an enemy to being a son? The commandment went out from the Scripture, let the wicked forsake his way and let the unrighteous man forsake his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God, for He will abundantly pardon. But how would He bring you to the point where you would willingly bow the knee and say, You are Lord, and You are my Lord? Willingly turn away from your sin and turn to God. How would He complete this task? Well, you say, what if He gave us a standard of righteousness? You know, what if God said, Look, you and I aren't getting along, and it's not my fault. I'll tell you what, I'll give you some rules to follow. Oh yeah, that didn't work. Garden of Eden, there was only one. But some people think that when God gave the Ten Commandments, that that was His step to bring us to Himself by following them. All it showed us is how righteous God is and how far we are from Him. Ten Commandments. He gave it to the nation of Israel. And Israel had the audacity to listen to the commandments after they had just broken them. They had just committed idolatry by forming a golden calf and bowing and worshiping it as their God. And then they had the audacity to say, oh yeah, we'll follow the Ten Commandments. The first of which is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. 
They had already broken it. All this we will do, they said. And for centuries, people have said the same thing. Yeah, I'm going to, I'm okay with God. I believe the golden rule, you know, uh, do uh, uh, whatever it is, the golden rule. I follow the Ten Commandments. Some of you have been out with us at uh, some of the fairs asking people how they expect to get to heaven. Are you good enough? You say, you list the Ten Commandments. You say, you say how do you expect to get to heaven? Well, I, I follow the Ten Commandments. What are they? I have no idea. How are you going to get to heaven that way? You can't anyway. Because God did not give us the Ten Commandments as a stepping stool or as a ladder to heaven. That wouldn't work. How could he get enemies to be willing to do his will? We're his enemies. We can't be reconciled to God that way. So how would he complete the task? We had some uh, college students over at the house recently, and uh, somebody asked a question. I, I forget the, the, the extent of the conversation, but it was something like, why, didn't, why did God give us a free will? Why did he give us a free will? Why didn't he just make us do what he wanted us to do? So really what they're saying is, well, why doesn't God just turn us all into robots? And if we're all just robots, we will just do whatever he wants us to do. I don't know about you. I have a computer. My computer doesn't always do what I want it to do. That would be failure. That would mean that he had pre-programmed us to love him. Can you imagine me saying to my wife, here, let me just insert a disc. And from now on, you'll love me. Wouldn't it be better if she just loved me? Because she loved me? Do you think God would want less? He calls to us, love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. He wants it from the heart. He wants it as a response to Him, not because we're pre-programmed. He wants us to exercise our own free will to love Him this way. How would He get us to love Him? Some say, ah, Why doesn't he just destroy us all? Start over again. And he could have. He could have erased the entire universe from existence. You and me included. But God's enemies would mock him with their parting breath, accusing him of being unable to retain the devotion of his creatures and failing at last. What an immense task to bring you and me to the point where we would quit fighting against God where we would lay down our weapons against Him and turn from our rebellious ways to the Savior. What an immense task to change my stubborn and rebellious heart and bring me to the point where I have peace with God. What an immense task to make all things new. And yes, this task included raising the dead. For the Bible says, And you He made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. The passage there, we've talked about this in classes before, dead there means that we were separated from God. We were born in that condition. We inherited from Adam not just our good looks, but we inherited from Adam his sin nature. We are sinners because 
our father was a sinner and his father was a sinner all the way back to Adam, we inherited the sin nature. Just as sin entered, one man committed sin and all have sinned um, because we have inherited his sin nature. We're sinners by nature and we're sinners by practice. But it says, and you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sin. That relationship with God, we were separated from him. And God himself can make us alive. And as we can be, have a right relationship with God, restoring us to a right relationship with him. How would he do that? How would he reconcile the world to himself? In the aftermath of the earthquake, the government uh, called upon a number of agents and agencies to uh, re- help rebuild the lives and property of those who were affected by the earthquake. And we expect that. We expect first responders such as police and firefighters and paramedics to come quickly to our rescue. We expect workers to come in right behind them, you know, like the um, Red Cross, uh, FEMA, structural engineers, demolition crews, construction crews. We expect all of that to take place in an event like that. These people are necessary in a tragedy uh, like this. But who is skilled and qualified to rescue us from the even greater scene of disaster that we find ourselves in as a result of sin? Who will save us from the ruin of the fall? I challenge you to ransack the universe and find one who could deliver us. Find one who could deliver us. Uh, you would find no one qualified to reconcile us to God. Remember, all things have been ruined. Things in heaven, things on earth, things visible, things invisible. Find one who can rescue us. There is no creature on earth that can rescue us. It is not possible. No angel would do. Think of the issues at stake. Think of the battle to be won. God wants to win your heart. So what agent would God use to rescue us from the ruin caused by our sin? It could only be God himself. He is the only one who was not ruined by the fall. And the agent he employed was none other than God himself in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is the good news of the gospel message. The question is, would he do it? Would he willingly rescue us from our sins? And the answer is given in the Bible's most famous verse, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in the Son, he who has the Son has life. He who believes in him has everlasting life, um, or is not condemned, pardon me, and he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. We ruined his creation. We ruined ourselves, and yet we read, God so loved the world. The world can refer to uh, the planet, or it can refer to the inhabitants of the planet. But if you look at the context of that passage, it's very clear that he wasn't talking about planet Earth. He was talking about the inhabitants of planet Earth. God loves people. God loves you. 
And his love is expressed by giving his son. We just finished celebrating Thanksgiving this week. We uh, were over at uh, celebrating with the Ormsby's and uh, family. And uh, one of the uh, things that they did was to write down something you're thankful for. And I think two or maybe three times that uh, verse came out, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, God gave his son. Who exactly is Jesus? Who is he? The first verse we read this morning is verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the creator of all things, whether visible or invisible. He is before all things, and in him all things consist. The Bible says that in him dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily. He is God. And you can ransack the universe, and you will find not one other than God who can reconcile us to himself. And that he has done. So this brings us to our next point. The incredible method he used to reconcile us to himself. In 1989, we had uh, George Bush Sr., as president, Daniel, actually it wasn't Daniel Quayle, it was Danforth Quayle, I think it was actually his name. Uh, Dan Quayle was the vice president. Um, Dan, Dan Quayle came to the uh, Bay Area to visit right after the earthquake. And he looked around and he left. And then President George Bush Sr. arrived a few days later and both expressed their sadness uh, with the ruin that they saw. But neither the vice president nor the president put on overalls to do anything to remedy the situation. Now, I'm not speaking evil of those who were our rulers. I, o- I only use it as an illustration to show the greater work of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ is none other than God. We read in Philippians chapter 2, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a servant, and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. This is the marvel of the method that God used to reconcile you and me to himself. He made peace, the Bible says, through the blood of his cross. He did not come to planet Earth to view the wreckage and the ruin, only to go back to heaven to report, on the, uh, to report the casualties. He left heaven's glories, and he put on, as it were, the overalls of human flesh. And he says in the scripture, Lo, I come in the volume of the book, it is written of me to do your will, O God. And we read in Isaiah chapter 53, yet it pleased the Lord to crush him or to bruise him. And the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. Go back to Colossians chapter 1 and verse 21 again. And I'm going to look at that two-word phrase once again. And you. We were part of the problem. We created the problem, and you. 
But the phrase, and you here, let's read on. Who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled. We were the problem. We were hostile to God. We were enemies of God. And we proved it every day by what we did and what we thought. And then a man once said, a decree. There came a decree that a death must take place. But it wasn't my death. But his. And it says here, though we were enemies, yet now he has reconciled us in the body of his flesh through death. You see, when Jesus came, he became a man. And he lived perfectly and righteously before God. He was sinless. And as a result, he did not have to die for his own sins. But instead, he died for the sins of another. For you. For me. God demonstrated his love toward you in that while you were yet sinners, Christ died for you. And he reconciled us to himself by the blood of his cross. You know, it should shock us every time we hear that. Can you, can you believe that? God became a man in order to rescue you and to rescue me from the sins that we had committed against him. We did all the sinning, and he did all the saving. That's why I wanted to sing that song this morning. That third verse says, And when I think that God, his son not sparing, sent him to die, I scarce can take it in. That on the cross, my burden, gladly bearing, he bled and died to take away my sin. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art, that God would love me and would love you that much to send his Son to die on the cross for us. That's the marvel of the method he used to reconcile us to himself. Think of the achievements he has accomplished. We're not even going to begin to cover them. During the uh, Loma Prieta earthquake, a, a large portion of the I-880 freeway collapsed, the, the Cypress structure we mentioned. Of the 63 people that died in the earthquake, 35 of them died on the Cypress structure. The collapse of the Cypress structure, this was um, written by an engineer, uh, was one of the most devastating effects of the earthquake, requiring immediate action by all levels of assistance. Emergency crews worked nonstop to free people from the rubble. Local residents provided ladders and helped extinguish fires and locate survivors. The, the final survivor was located and rescued approximately 90 hours after the initial earthquake. Many people took that road that day, got on it probably at 5 o'clock, 5.01, 5.02, I know Angelo had been on that road not more than a couple of minutes before the earthquake and he remembered that he forgot something and he got off the freeway to go back to the station. And uh, But many people who were on that road didn't make it home that night. They got on it. They took a road not knowing that it was a road leading to destruction. 
They drove on the road every day. It had never collapsed before. Lots of their friends drove on that road all the time. Seemed okay. But they didn't realize that that day would be their last day on earth. Had they taken a different road, they probably would still have been alive. But their ignorance, and I'm not disrespecting them by saying that, their ignorance of the fact that there was going to be a collapse and all that, uh, cost them their life. Many people don't realize that they are on a road of, the road of life that they're on is a road that will lead to destruction. The Bible says there is a way that seems right to a man, but the end is the way of death. They get up in the morning and they just go about their business as usual. All their friends do it. Must be okay. They travel this way every day. It's no different. And they take no thought of their relationship with God and their future and the future that awaits them. Lots of their friends walk the same road. They think they're okay. And it's a broad road, Jesus said, but it's a road that leads to destruction. Their ignorance may cost them not just their life, but their eternity. And eternity, the Bible says, in the lake of fire, because that is the destruction that awaits all who do not believe on the Lord Jesus Christ for their salvation. It's the only way a person can be reconciled to God. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. You want to know the way to heaven? That's it in simple terms, through the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, it is our sin that separates us from God. But it is God who sent His Son to die on the cross to pay your sin's penalty and my sin's penalty with His own blood. And it is through that shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that we can be reconciled to God. He makes peace, the Bible says, through the blood of His cross. Today, you may not be able to do very much to prepare for the next big one. They say it's coming. Might be the San Andreas fault. Might be the Hayward fault next time. There's probably not an awful lot you can do to prepare for it. But there is something you can do to prepare for eternity. Because we know that's coming. We all face, as the, as we say, death and taxes. Death is, is sure. There is something you can do here and now to be reconciled to God. What do you do? To reconcile, as we mentioned earlier, means to restore you to a right relationship with God. It's your sin that has separated you from God. It means to create peace where there was no peace. And it means to change you from an enemy to a friend of God and more. And he does this through his death on the cross. How can you be reconciled? Jesus said it so plainly that even a child can understand. He says this, But as many as receive him, to them he gives the right to become children of God. Children of God. If you, are, if you become a child of God, you are reconciled to God. If you become a child of God, you do have peace with God. And if you become a child of God, you're not just a friend. 
you're a child of God. If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ this morning, what hinders you? What's stopping you? He has done everything that is necessary for you to have your sins forgiven and to have a right relationship with Him. I urge you on His behalf, be reconciled to God. Let's pray. Lord, as we come before you, we are amazed again as we think of what you have done to save our souls. And we just pray, Lord, that we might appreciate uh, your salvation more and more each day. But we pray, Lord, for any who don't know you yet, that today might be the day of salvation for them, that they would lay down any opposition, lay down any weapons against you and just say, Lord, here am I. I believe that you died on the cross for me to reconcile me to God. And I accept your gift of salvation today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.